You're listening to Breaking Marketing, where we uncover the cutting-edge strategies disrupting the marketing industry. Join host Leanna Ling, CEO of AdSkills, as she takes you behind the scenes to access insider knowledge from industry leaders and innovators pushing and breaking the boundaries of marketing. Are you ready to discover the secrets of the marketing elite? Let's begin Breaking Marketing. Yeah, let's go. Welcome back, and I am so excited to welcome Richard Matthews here. Hey, Richard, thank you for stopping by today. Awesome. Glad to be here, Liana. I uh, always love being on the phone with you, whether or not we're recording it or just in our uh, our own little masterminds or whatever we're doing. You're always a pleasure to be around and to talk to, and I've literally learned a ton from you over the years, so I'm excited to be here. All right. And I mean, we have been really good friends for a number of years. And every time I talk with you, I always learn something. Even before now, we were just chatting. You shared with me some things that I had no idea about. So I said, okay, I got to press record. Let's do this. So let's dive in. You know, today, oh, so by the way, Richard is a chronic rule breaker. So I'll probably have him back here a couple of different times. There's a lot we can learn from him. Uh, but today, I wanted to focus on the interesting things that Richard is doing with his podcast. So first of all, can you give us the background? Like, just let us know what's your podcast about so we get the context. And um, then we can dive into how it is basically doing the complete opposite of what everybody else is doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So my podcast is called The Hero Show. And the purpose of the show is to change the cultural narrative we have about entrepreneurs being the quintessential villain in all of our stories and to change that to um, entrepreneurs being the heroes, which is more in line with like what actual reality is. But for whatever reason, if you look at any of our pop cultural narratives and kids TV shows, books, you know, even, you know, some of the new movies that came out over the holidays this last couple of weeks, um, I watched many of them and I'll 99 times out of 100, the villain is always some variation of entrepreneur spills oil on ducks for money, right? Um, and I've always hated that narrative. And it means it makes a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself and myself and lots of people that I've interviewed um, have negative associations with the value we're trying to bring to the world and negative associations with profit. And I think that if we're really going to change the world in a positive way, we need to change that cultural narrative that entrepreneurs mm -hmm. are actually heroes. Mm -hmm. And so we tell stories of entrepreneurs and we tell their stories as if they were a comic book superhero. And we've been doing that for um, a little over 220 episodes now. And it has um, been a tremendous value to my life and to my business, despite um, us sort of breaking a lot of the rules on how you're supposed to do podcasting. Mm -hmm. Well, what's so what's the name of the show? It's the Hero Show, right? Hero Show, yeah. Okay. And where do you broadcast it? Um, so we broadcast the Hero Show on YouTube um, and we broadcast the Hero Show on uh, the podcast networks. So those are the two main main places. And then of course it it we have smaller bits that go everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. 365 days a year. So all the major social media platforms have clips and stuff that go to Instagram and we're starting TikTok um, and um, what are the other ones? LinkedIn and Facebook and, uh, you know, all the major social media platforms, Twitter. Um, they, there's little pieces that, of the content that goes out every day. And this is, I want you to share with uh, us how this podcast has changed your life and your business, because this is what to me is so impressive about what you're doing. Yeah, What's so the, been the impact of this podcast? It's really interesting, right? The, uh, it, the, so there's, there's a number of, of really important impacts. So the first one was that my desire to build the podcast for the story, the story that it tells, um, led me to build the uh, push button podcast agency that runs it. Um, and this is partially uh, the fault of you guys in my mastermind, but um, I knew I wanted to tell this story and I was really struggling to tell the story because doing the actual work of a podcast, all the stuff that you're done after you hit the stop record button, it's really difficult. Um, and I, I, I built push button podcasts as a service for myself. It wasn't called push button podcast when I did it. I built it as a service myself so I could go from struggling to get our first three episodes live to over the following year after we built the push button podcast, getting 80 episodes live, um, and having stuff published every single week. Um, and then doubling our, you know, our production through the pandemic and everything. It was really, it was really about, um, building a, a the, the company behind it, the push button podcast that publishes it, um, building it allowed allowed me to get my story out and the result of it has been really interesting right because we're 220 episodes in um to the podcast now it's been up for several years and my goal was never to attract an audience 
with um with the hero show my goal was always to change the story of the people i was inviting on that was my goal right is it's the podcast is for my guests for them to look at their life and their business differently than they did before they talked to me um and so as a result because i'm not focusing on building an audience um i don't have a huge audience the audience is maybe 250 300 people over the last couple of years um which is not it's not a success or a failure in that regard for like it's it's just not something i focused on so i don't particularly care because it's doing its job which is to have an impact on the people that i invite on and the other result of that is that it is um driving networking for my push button podcast business and push button podcasts has um turned into a full-time business um for myself we employ um four full-time people um so it supports my family and it supports the families of four other people um right now and all of the business from push button podcasts has come from the networking from the hero show um so i guess the rule that you might be talking about is that uh, you know you build a podcast to gain an audience and i'm here to tell you that it's not the only way um and sometimes not even the best way to build a podcast yeah. And because one of the things we think about when we want to launch a podcast is we want to get in the new and noteworthy category, right? We want to, we want to launch giveaways and, and launch parties and, and right. And just like kind of get this whole uh, momentum going. So you get a ton of subscribers and downloads and make a really big splash. Like that's what we're taught we should do when we're launching a podcast. And then we look at one of the I know like one of the dashboards we want to look at is see, hey, how many downloads we have, how many subscribers do we have? And we just get all really excited, which in and of itself is not bad at all. I mean, I think that's amazing. And people do that. I want to celebrate it. And we're doing we're going to do that with this podcast, too. But what's so interesting about what you're doing, Richard, is like the fact that you've been doing this for a couple of years. And after a couple of years, you know, I think somebody would look at it and think, be very discouraged thinking, oh, I only have, you know, less than 300 subscribers. But what blows my mind is that this is literally, um, like you said, it's supporting four families. I mean, it's giving you almost all of your clients for your agency right now. Yeah, absolutely. It is driving, it's driving the, uh, it's driving my agency. Um, and there's, there's some tactics behind how we're doing that. Um, but the I think the important part for like what we're talking about here is that it's it's a break of the mold, right? It's a it's a different understanding of how podcasts can be used, mm -hmm. and I think part of that is it's part of the story that we hear, right? Um, and everything comes back to stories, which is why I like podcasting. But the story, the cultural narrative, you know, the you know the marketing narrative around podcasts is build a big audience. Once you have a big audience, then you can monetize the audience by putting offers in front of them. So mm -hmm. we celebrate audience growth. And what I have been doing, what I've been telling my clients for a long time is that podcasting, um, it can be about that. It can be, right? And it's not a bad thing if that's your target or your goal, but it's not the only goal that is available to you. Um, and it is one of the harder goals with podcasting to achieve, to achieve large audience and stuff like that. And we've seen a lot of podcasts do it over the last five or six years, things like the Stephen Crowder show or the Daily Wire, which has become a media multimedia powerhouse with podcasting. And hopefully we'll see the same thing happen with your podcast network. You're starting at ad skills, right? Um, you can build a podcast with the goal of building an audience. Mm -hmm. And then you monetize that audience by putting um, stuff in front of them. But I think mm -hmm. one of the more powerful and more accessible goals of podcasting is to become a dominant force in your niche, right? And that comes from using podcasting as a way to claim authority, right? Because authority is always claimed. It's not bestowed upon people. You claim authority and then you keep it by showing up, right? And showing up consistently over time. And I know something we've talked about before is the power of consistency over time. And I've showed up in this space with this message um, and the the opportunities it's given me has been tremendous um, where as like when we first started, um, you know, two or three years ago, I had to fight for every guest we got on. Right. Meaning I had to go out and promote and ask people to come on. And I started out with like friends and family and people who I knew who would say yes. Like you were one of our first episodes a number of years ago. Um, and, you know, that was like our first 50 episodes. We had to try real hard. And you get to our first 100 episodes, and now we start getting like inbound, a little bit of inbound, maybe 50-50 inbound and outbound, trying to get people to come on the show. Um, and when we crossed 200 episodes with our podcast, again, this is a the, the magic of consistency over time. I no longer do outreach for my show unless I want to. Um, I have a backlog of people who are asking me on a daily basis, can I come on your show and talk to you? Um, and everything from 
um, from small companies to big companies, right? I've had the CEO of Aweber, which is a big, you know, and they they asked to come on my show. They said, hey, we see what you're doing. Can we get our CEO on your show, right? Um, I had the CEO of a multi-billion dollar social media startup in, uh, um, in Silicon Valley asked to come on our show. And we have like that, that's starting to happen after we hit this, it was like some, about six months ago, we had 200 episodes. There's some sort of power that comes from showing up every day in a space with a message, right? And what's interesting to me is my message isn't particularly niche, right? It's sort of a, it's a general message that's saying that, hey, entrepreneurs are heroes instead of villains. And I could probably have a more powerful niche message for like, if I was trying to drive specific revenue. Um, but the fact that you show up every day with a message is powerful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And name a couple other uh, people that you've had on. Cause I remember they, they've all been really, to me, they're fascinating because you are so good at storytelling and drawing the stories out of your guests. But, you know, you mentioned two people there. I remember you had somebody else, well, you were saying she was selling like candles for, you know, a million dollars, yeah, not a million, but you know what I mean? Victoria Wick. She is um, a, QVC seller who's been selling jewelry for 30 years on QVC. Um, And she came to the US 30 years ago with $39 in her pocket and has built a company that sells over $500 million a year of jewelry. Um, And she she cracked me up because she was it was it was amazing to have someone who is like next level wealth on to talk to you. And because she just walked me through some things in my business that I was just blew me away. And the, one of my favorite stories at the end, she was talking about candles. She has this candle in her, in her room because we have a candle company as well. And she was like, I want to show you one of my favorite candles. It's a $10,000 candle. Uh, and I was like, a $10,000 candle is something that you literally, you light and it burns away. So it's like, you, you literally, she's burning away $10,000. And I was like, that, that's the kind of money that I didn't even know existed. Like, I, you know, I can understand wanting to buy a yacht or something. You know, I spent $3 million on a, on a yacht. And then at the end you get a yacht, but this is like, having the kind of money you're like, I'm going to spend $10,000 and then literally light it on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm like, man, there's, there's just a whole nother level of wealth. Um, but yeah, she was one of my favorite interviews. Um, one of my other interviews I really loved was a, a coffee shop owner in the Philippines and just a local community business and loved hearing that story and how impactful a coffee shop is to a local community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, a gentleman on that, uh, him and all of his retired buddies, he ran, he built the business that is pulling for every single one of him and his employees, six figures plus a year. And all they do is they walk properties for commercial real estate owners and give them a weekly report on what their property looks like. Um, and the report is literally just like, Hey, my property's in good shape. And there's some trash that I noticed over here. I picked that up for you. And, you know, it looks like someone, you know, left a mattress in your dumpster kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's all they do. They just have routes of properties and they've sold the contracts to like, Hey, we'll, we'll walk your property once a week. And they go out with their wives or their dogs or whatever. And they take walks and they get paid six figures to do it. All right. And it's just, just fascinating to hear the stories of entrepreneurs all across the board from small local businesses, all the way up to big mega successful stories. And you realize that every single one of them um, is working towards making our world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because one of the rules people think about when they're starting a podcast is, well, I need to wait until I'm big before I'm even going to attract anybody, you know, quote unquote important, um, or even just to start to reach out. And, you know, you mentioned in your first 50 episodes, you're reaching out to friends and family to come on. What's been your process to get those guests before it started becoming more inbound? What was your process to get these amazing guests? Because you were getting amazing guests from the beginning. I, I you weren't, you didn't wait like 200 plus episodes, you know, before you started to get um, really interesting people on? So the first part is I had a message, right? And it's one of those things that I think people miss with the podcast is you have to have, you have to have a message, you have to have a story you want to tell. And if you have a story you want to tell, then people, I said, we're, we're story born people, all of us, like it's how humanity works is we are, um, we build and judge our relationships and the depth of those relationships on the stories that we know about each other. And so when you show up with a story, especially a story that is engaging, and then that is going to help lift up the other person, it's really easy to get a yes, right. Um, and, and it's like, so for the hero show, it was like, hey, I would like to tell your story as if you're a comic book superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. 
it's 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 hard to say no to that. Yes. Right? It was like, hey, I see what you do, right? So Liana, I see what you do here at Ad Skills. Can you come, would you come on my podcast? Can we tell your story as if you were a comic book superhero? Right. And right. and it's it's hard to hear that question and think about your work and not go, yeah, I want to do that. Right. Or in the, you know, reverse that around, you know, you're asked to me, it's like, hey, we're starting a show about someone who is who breaks rules and is disruptive in marketing. You want to come tell your story. And it's it's hard to say no when you have a message. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have a message, and then you the that's the first part to have a message. And then the second part is ask. <laughs> have a message. <laughs> Yeah. It seems but that's simple. hard because, you know, I, I go through this, right? Imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. They're, I'm not big enough. They're not going to pay any attention. And here's you, you know, you, you started one, you had, I think like five subscribers, if that to start off and you're asking everybody, <laughs> like asking everybody. And what's interesting is I did get no's, right? I got no's from people early on that mm-hmm. from people who, who understand the value of their time and their, um, and their audience. Um, but like, you know, hey, I, I actually had um, a, a good friend of mine was like, your show's not ready for me yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not going to happen. You're not going to get 100 percent yeses, but I got enough yeses that it make it it made a difference. Right. And now I can go back to that same person and ask them and they would say yes now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've had that happen a number of times where people who said no early on say yes now because of the thing we mentioned earlier, consistency over time. Mm-hmm. Right. And what happens now is people are like, oh, this guy's serious. Cause you don't get to 300 episodes, 200 episodes on accident. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. <laughs> the, the overwhelming majority of podcasts, I think it's something like 93% of podcasts don't make it past their 10th episode. Wow. 10th. Really? Wow. Yeah. So why do you think that is like, why do you not about getting past the 10, but what do you think is it about just putting yourself out there? Um, you know, I know you kind of talk about creating your platform, but why do you think that's so effective where you're just putting yourself out there and like said, not having those, maybe we call them vanity metrics, but not having like a ton of subscribers and like millions of views, but it still works for you. So, um, I think the reason it works for me is because I have, I have, um, I don't quite know how to say this. I know, I know where I'm going, right? Mm-hmm. I know, I know what I'm doing with my business and I was like, my, my business happens to fit nicely in podcasting, but it, it almost doesn't matter. Right. I have, I have clients in lots of spaces that are, are different, um, that do the same thing. Right. And I was like, well, one of my, uh, one of my clients now is, um, got a huge audience and he's been a business strategist for a long, long time. And he wanted to shift from being known as a business strategist to being known as a community building expert. Um, and he showed up and we started running his podcast. His podcast at this point has 22 episodes published or no, 29 episodes published as of today. And um, I think it has 12 subscribers on iTunes, 12, wow. right? 29 episodes, 12 subscribers on iTunes. He's got about a thousand subscribers on YouTube, which is is about accurate. Most of our podcasts have about 10 times the subscribership on, on YouTube than they do on iTunes. But what has happened over the course of the last six months doing that again, small, small numbers is everyone who's coming to him and talking to him now versus even seven or eight weeks ago are showing up and saying like, Hey, I need help with my community. You're an expert in community. How can I get to know what you know about community? Because he's showing up every day in his space talking about his message. So I think the reason it works is because if you have a message and you show up every day, people start to recognize you for, for your expertise. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my podcast is about storytelling and my business push button podcast is about storytelling. So it lines up really well. Right. His podcast is about community and the services that he offers are about community. And he's starting to get business related to community. Right. I got another client who talks about um, e-commerce conversion rate optimization and their business on the backside talks about conversion rate optimization. And their message is essentially that you don't need more traffic, you need better conversions, right? And that's all that they podcast about. And they show up every day talking about that thing. And on the backside, people come to them and go to their, they have courses and training that they sell um, mm-hmm. and about that. So it's like when you when you show up in a market with a message, um, then, and you do that consistently over time, people will ask you about your products and services that are on the backside of that. Mm-hmm. And 
it's not, you don't have to have huge numbers. What you have to have is a message and consistency over time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what makes me scratch my head is on each individual platform, like you said, there's 12 subscribers on this platform, a thousand subscribers on this platform. And then you said over time, people start to notice you. But if you have such tiny numbers, so what makes me scratch my head is like, how, how are they seeing you anyway? Because if you look at each individual platform, the numbers are very small. Yeah. So I have theories about this. I don't have answers. So my theory, <laughs> my theory is like, right, we, so we publish. Um, and so let me give you, let me give you an example. I got a um, friend of mine from a number of years ago. I don't actually run this podcast anymore. And he's actually not in the space anymore. So he's not a public figure anymore. But at the time, this was four or five years ago, he had a YouTube channel that had roughly 40,000 subscribers on it. Um, and he had a podcast covering the same topics that had a uh, little less than a thousand people on it. So a thousand people to 40,000 people. So 40 times the number of people on YouTube. And we had a couple of offers that we put together in that space for him. Um, and uh, one of the years we tracked all these metrics on like really closely on where the sales were coming from. And he sold $225,000 worth of courses and training to his two audiences. Um, 200,000 of the 225,000 of them came from the 1,000 podcast subscribers. And the other 25,000 came from the 40,000 YouTube subscribers, um, which I think is really interesting because um, what it shows you is that the number is not nearly as relevant as the intimacy, mm. uh, the, the connection that you have with someone. And so the way that we structure our our distribution at push button podcasts is a, um, it's, it's, there's a couple of reasons for this, but we do a once weekly long form episode that generally goes to YouTube and it goes to all the podcast networks and it gets put up on your blog with, you know, embeds and show notes and transcripts and all that. Um, and it is just, it's, it's literally just a, we're showing up here and we have this content that has our story. Um, and then you have, weekly or sorry, sorry daily you have daily pieces of content that are going out to all of the social media networks and the biggest problem that most businesses have is that your customers aren't going to buy from you today it's just okay. the, the reality is is most of your sales aren't going to happen today mm -hmm. uh, and they're going to happen when the customer is ready to make a buying decision and yeah. the problem is how do you like the, the buying decision is going to go to the company that they believe can solve their problem and is in front of them when they're ready to buy. And mm -hmm. so the problem that podcasting can solve for you if you leverage it properly is that you're always there in the marketplace. And when the customer is ready to buy, you're there, right? Because you're everywhere, because you're mm -hmm. on every major social network. And if they are talking about or looking or thinking about it, I have people who buy from me who don't listen to my podcast, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the clients I mentioned to you is not a listener of my podcast. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. He sees me every day, right? Because nice. like I'm in his feeds um, and he sees me pop up and then he's like, I need, I need to have that. I need to have mm -hmm. what, what allows you to do that. And, you know, I, I walk him through and tell him the story of what we do. And he's like, I need that. And he does the same thing. And he's like, I'm getting the same thing, right? His, his audience doesn't like the people who are buying from him aren't necessarily in your audience. So my mm -hmm. theory is that the audience numbers don't matter as much as people think they do. Mm -hmm. What matters is the showing up over time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think it's just really hard to get our heads around that, I think, because we're so conditioned to saying we mm -hmm. need to see the big numbers. I mean, I've actually experienced this same phenomenon with short video um, when I started off on TikTok as well. The same thing. It, it really just exploded when I started uh, repurposing it on all the other different platforms, like, like you were saying, instead of just focusing on the one. But we see so many stories of, well, let's take Mr. Beast, for example, right? You could, everybody knows who he is. You can't ignore him. He's breaking uh, is he totally broke all the YouTube uh, numbers recently, too. Right. But yeah. what do people know about him? Like, it's the numbers, right? It's he's got this many subscribers and this many. And I, of course, he's successful. But be, because of those numbers, but we're not very, very few of us can be Mr. Beast. And I think yeah. that that's very discouraging. But then we're conditioned to think we have to be we have to get somewhere close to those numbers in order yeah. to matter and to have an impact. Yeah, it's like it's like I mentioned before, it's all judged on the stories we're told, right? And the stories we're told are that the numbers matter. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they do. They matter to yes. Mr. B. 
right? Yeah. They matter to the Daily Wire. They matter to some of these these uh, these creators that have created huge successful audiences. Sure. So right, it's not that they don't matter, and that if you built something. Well, if you're ads, selling ads and you're selling sponsors, they have to matter because that's what matters to the people buying the ads. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that business model and mm-hmm. it's not even a bad business model. It's not a bad target even, but yeah. it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not even necessarily the best one for every business. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where, where all I'm trying to do is tell people, you know, that's not the rule, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's other ways that you can do this and it can be really successful and really impactful for your business and for your message yeah. um, for your audience to show up, claim the authority in your space and then be there every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. yeah. Well, I think it's what you're saying too, is it's also very approachable. It, it's very, it's very doable for most mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, you don't have to be that rock star. Um, you don't have to be, you know, to, in order to be successful. And and like you were saying, in some cases, that's probably not the best way for you, you know, to be successful. So, you know, kind of in keeping with that theme, it can also sound very daunting to be quote unquote everywhere, to be on all these different, um, you know, platforms like you were just mentioning and showing up in feeds everywhere. And when you're a solopreneur or you have a tiny team, you know, that, that just sounds almost impossible, right? Is that going to take me all day long? I'm never going to sleep because I just have to keep pushing these things out there. So like you're in the business of doing, so how, how do you do that? And, uh, still have a life. Cause I, I, we'll talk about this in another episode because you do not work that many days a week. So I don't, and I do that on purpose. I've learned for uh, rules we break that you don't have to, to uh, get what you want. Um, so the first thing I want to comment on before I get into the how is the why, right? You mentioned a second ago that you don't have to be a rock star. And I think that's a really key point to this is you don't have to be a rock star. And the reason I want to bring that up is because the the magic, and this is something I know you and I have discussed a number of times over the years, the magic is in the doing, right? The, it's like, I, I can't remember what we were talking about. It was a number of years ago. And I think we were talking about email follow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you were like, well, why, why does it work? And I was like, because we do it. <laughs> and you realize, yes. <laughs> I was like, it, I was like, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be Mr. Beast level quality. It just has to be done. You have yes. to show up because if you show up, you are already beating most of the market. Yes. Yes. Right. You don't need talent. Yes. Yes. I, I am so with you on that. There's it's unfortunate <laughs> though, right? Yeah. That the majority of people do not take that first step. But yes, if you do it, you don't even need talent. Just just do it. <laughs> yeah. If you show up, you've already won. Yes. That's the most important thing that I want to get across is if you show up and you show up consistently over time, you've already won. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the overwhelming majority of the market does not show up right? Mm-hmm. They don't show up. And so if you show up and you show up consistently and you show up consistently over time, that's a message I'm going to drive home forever. I think is consistency over time. Um, it's really hard to, to lose. Right. Yes. And what is, I remember is uh, his name, Winston Churchill is never, ever, 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 ever give up. Right. That's his, uh, <laughs> his quote, <laughs> right. Or, or the story about the guy who was digging for gold and like he stopped three feet before he hit it. And then someone else bought it and, you know, dug two feet and they hit gold. Right. right. It's, it's, that, it's that, that story we've all heard, but the, that's really where the magic is. The magic is in showing up mm-hmm. and just executing consistently. So with that mm-hmm. out of the way, I'll talk a little bit about how we do it. Um, and, the how I think is probably why I was invited on the podcast because it's disruptive yes, um, and it's a little bit of the rule breaking and taking advantage of some new technologies that have, um, that are, are really setting us, setting us up for success in the future. And um, so there's a couple of things. The first concept is um, on how we leverage the podcast. So what I tell, um, tell people is like, if you, you know, obviously if you want to build audience, right, you want to get in front of people putting out more content, is going to help you build audience faster than putting out less content. So if you were mm-hmm. to put out a full length podcast and all those, you know, short clips and everything every single day, um, you know, had a daily show, you know, I can't, you know, a la, you know, Gary V, right. Or um, what's his name? The, uh, the Grant Cardone 10X, right. They put out tremendous amounts of content um, mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Um, you will build audience faster, right. And you will get all of the, you know, from a calendar perspective, you'll get there faster. Sure. Um, and the problem with that is, you know, Gary Vee has 26 full-time people on his content team, right? 
Um, and Grant Cardone is similar, right? They have humongous amounts of resources that are going towards yeah, that. It, it's, I um, actually, for a week, I tried to post 10 times a day on TikTok and I gave up after three days. Like I thought I was going to die. I could not take it. It's really like, hard. And these were brutal. seven second videos. <laughs> it, is, it is very difficult and very time consuming, um, very resource intensive to have that. So um, if you go to monthly, a monthly cadence, um, the calendar time it will take Again, you, you can, it'll still work consistency over time. You do it for enough years showing up once a month, you will build an audience of people who are, who expect you and get there. But the calendar time it takes is going to be um, significantly longer than say, if you were doing it every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and so my goal as a entrepreneur is how do we get the happy medium where people like myself or like you, how do we leverage the audience building um, and the showing up and being in the marketplace every day as much as possible. So what what we found over the course of our podcast and several of our clients is that once a week cadence is really really good for a um for a number of re reasons. So the once a week cadence allows you to do long four podcast interviews like you and I are doing now. Um mm -hmm. you can back record them where you can record three or four or five or 10 episodes at the beginning of the month and have a episode going out for, you know, four to six weeks of content, right? That you batch record in a couple of days. Um so it makes your inputs very low, right? You have just the couple of interviews, right? You know, a couple of hours of interviews that you might do, um, or, you know, sitting in front of the camera and doing your, your solo episodes. Um, and then you have a cadence of once a week where you can hit all of the major social networks. So your big ones for the long form are going to be YouTube, iTunes, and the blog, which is going to hit YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. Google and your blog hits the number one search engine in the world. And then iTunes, um, the uh, radio shows and whatnot are the fastest growing segment of multimedia on the planet. Um, they're mm. expecting podcasting and consumption of podcasting to surpass video um, before too long, which is crazy to me. Um, but the uh, um, so those are your three big ones. And then what we do is we take the long form episodes and you cut out pieces of them. And what's interesting is you don't need to cut out a ton of them, right? You can, you can cut out hundreds of pieces from them and cut out a bunch of them. But what we found is six works about right, right? Because okay. you have long form content on Monday and then you have a short piece of content that you can put out every other day. So if you say you publish on Monday, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you have a short form piece of content that go to whatever networks that you care about. Um, links back to the original one. That gets you SEO backlinks. That's always fun. Um, and you're showing up on all the networks um, with the, the pieces of content that are coming out. And so that happens. And now you've got content coming out every single day. And you do that for a little while. And then as the content's coming out, you can use things like Social Pilot or Hootsuite or any of the other ones that let you sort of recycle old content, where as you sort of fill up the hopper with the new content you're putting in daily, you can tell it like, hey, all the stuff that engages with regularly publish two or three more times today and republish old stuff. Because chances are the people who, you know, when they put that short piece of content out, not 100% of your audience saw it. Right. And the ones who did have already forgotten it because they saw 10,000 other pieces of content today. So you That's can reshare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, that's true. that's so, another rule, right? Like people just don't see what you put out there in general. So it's okay to post it again. Yeah. Yeah. Post it again. So you can, if you keep up that daily cadence of we publish once a week and then we, you know, we cut out six pieces of content from that, that gives you a daily new piece of content. So you're always showing up in your market. And then those daily pieces of content can be fed back into your, I'm just going to call it a hopper that like gets reshared on a daily basis. And you get to the point where you have three or four pieces of content coming out every single day in every place that you want to be. So you become essentially unignorable to your marketplace, right? Mm. And you can boost up things. So that's the uh, that's the the sort of the concept of like how you do it. And then how we actually leverage that on the back end is uh, that's still a lot of work, right? There's a lot of, like, right. of yes. effort that goes into that. Yeah. Um, so we use some AI tools that make that a lot uh, simpler for us mm -hmm. um, and for our team. So the way I look at it, I think I think a lot of people have a uh, misguided understanding of what AI is, right? That, you, know, you see all these discussions happening today that AI is going to replace humans um, or it's finally getting so good that you can just, I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussions about chat GTP replacing copywriters and stuff like that. And I'm like, the, the, the problem with that is it's just not true. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just not true. AI is a powerful tool for leverage for humans. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we'll continue to be that for a long, long time. And what it's going to do is it's going to unlock your potential to get more work done in a shorter period of time at a higher consistency of quality and um, and speed of output and, and, and whatnot. So the way, I, the way I've been talking about it to people is AI is 
is kind of like giving a tractor to a farmer who's used to plowing his fields with a horse and a plow. Okay. Right. And, and I was like, you can in the wrong hands, if he doesn't know how to drive a tractor, he could run it into his barn and knock it over and do a terrible job. Or sure. he can 20x his output on his farm with less mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. All right. And so that's what we're looking at is how can we leverage AI to 20x our output without having to 20x our input, right? Where okay. we have to show up every day. And so tools that we use, one of them is uh, Descript, um, Descript, which is a uh, it's an AI video editor. It's a collaborative video editor. Highly recommend everyone check it out if you do anything with video. Um, they're sponsored by, um, they just had their latest, uh, what do you call it? The venture capitalist funding round. Um, and they were funded by OpenAI, which is OpenAI is backed by Elon Musk, right? So uh-huh. like the, 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 they're, they're a big player in the space now. Um, and the thing that they do, which is really, really fascinating, is almost everything that you're touching in their system is AI but you're not going to look at it. It's not branded AI, right? It's not like mm-hmm. ChatGPT, where it's like, talk to the AI and get answers. What right. they're doing is they're using AI to make your job, the output that you're doing easier. So okay. you drop it in there and it gives you the entire transcript that it, AI goes through and does the transcript for the uh, the video. It does about okay. a, a good job. And then, um, so you go through and clean it up as a human. So now I can have my transcriptionist, instead of having to just tra- transcribe every word, only has to listen to the episode and fix the mistakes the AI made. Mm-hmm. So now instead of her having to spend four hours per episode doing the transcription, she spends 20 minutes, mm-hmm. right? And so we can, um, she can handle, you know, 20 shows that we're we're doing instead of two, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're 20xing her output on that. And our video editor, um, they, the, uh, they do uh, AI optimized editing boundaries around the actual spoken word. So you can do the video edits with the text where I can be like, oh, don't like that sentence, cut it out or move things around. And you can, you can edit video by editing text, like you're editing a Word document. And what's cool is everyone can edit a Word document, but not everyone can edit video. Yes. And what it does is that it uses AI to make it so that if you can edit a Word document, you can edit video, right? right? It allows you to increase your output without increasing your skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the composition pieces for the, we can do, uh, they use some AI stuff. And you can actually see it. It's, it'll a little tiny little thing at the bottom. It'll tell you what it's doing. And it's like optimizing editing boundaries. And that's all the AI going to work and do using its machine learning algorithms to do what it does. And so we go through the highlighted text and be like, Hey, this was a good sentence from the, uh, from this, um, this video. Can you make that a new composition for me? And you just click mm-hmm. a button. It makes a whole new video composition and it does all the work for you. Wow. Um, and I like six pieces of the content or actually I have my transcriptionist do that while she's going and she, cause they listen through it and see if there's any mistakes in the transcript. She goes, Oh, that's a good piece highlighted. Mm-hmm. That's a good piece highlighted. That's a good piece highlighted creates all the new compositions. And then you just click a button and you say, do I want it to be square for Instagram or do I want it to be portrait for TikTok, or do I want it to be landscape for YouTube? And it's literally just a button click and it'll reorganize everything on the canvas for you wow. with AI uh-huh. to fit that orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have pre-designed templates. The pre-designed templates are where the human assisting comes in, right? You have, I have um, video editors who professionally do our templates for us so that I can have the AI. And what I mean by have the AI is like, I have a human VA, which is, you know, you have a VA person who level person who can click on the video and be like, Hey, use this template. And then the AI, AI just gets to work and does what would have taken a professional video editor multiple hours in right. a few seconds. Yeah. And now we produce uh, we produce 18 pieces of content for every one hour of video um, or one episode of video because we do the six clips and we do a mm-hmm. square, ver- a tall version for TikTok and a wide version for um, YouTube and LinkedIn and places like that. So we create mm-hmm. 18 pieces and mm-hmm. we just distribute that with um, one of the social media tools. So Descript is a really mm-hmm. big one. The other one that we've been using is uh, Jasper. So Jasper is, uh, a, you know, everyone's heard about ChatGDP now, but Jasper is very similar technology. Um, and we use Jasper to uh, to feed in the transcript, the AI transcript that Descript give us. We take that transcript and we feed it to Jasper and say, hey, can you summarize this for us? Yeah. Um, and so it, it summarizes the transcript and gives us a bunch of bullet points. And this is where uh, one of the big failures of AI is, is AI is not good at context. Right. They're not good at understanding the story that's being told. They just see the words and the language patterns and the language model. And so it'll spit out things that are. I don't know what the word is. It's not human yet. And right. so 
the the work before for writing all of our show notes and writing all of the uh, the written assets would be generally a writer, a skilled writer listening to the episode. So that's an hour of time, plus writing out the summary points, another hour of time, and then another couple of hours to write the show notes, four to five hours per episode of writing time. Now it's um, about 10 seconds or so to summarize the points and then 20 minutes to go through the summary points and humanize them, right? Put the context back in that the AI missed and get the language pattern so that they sound human and not robotic. And now you have really good, you know, because they say garbage in and garbage out, you have really good summary points. You can tell the AI, write me the show notes and write me the uh, um, the short description and write me the fo- Facebook posts and write me the, uh, the tweets and write me all the other things. And now my writer with the assistance of AI can get um, all of the um, all of the written assets done for an episode in 30 minutes to 40 minutes instead of four hours. So it's uh, it's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. It's almost like you're the pilot, right? Like it sounds like you're taking these tools and then you're empowering your team to pilot as opposed to the doing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're, we're using AI tools to increase our productivity and make the consistency and quality of output more even, right? And then, um, and I said, we, I got people in my mastermind that are showing us how to build the agency, like, like scale it well. But the, the reality is, is like what we can do now with a couple of people who are trained to use these tools is um, I can have, um, instead of paying, you know, through the nose for high-end video editors, I can pay the high-end video editor to build our templates and then pay a VA to do the video editing because the the AI tools give them a lot more leverage, right? And instead of paying a transcriptionist to transcribe every single word of my podcast, I can pay a transcriptionist to clean up the output that the AI put out, right? And instead of paying a writer to listen and summarize and then write four hours, I can pay a, you know, I can, I and because of the uh, cost of that, we had to hire lower end writers in order to do it at scale. And now because of AI, we can actually hire English speaking first high end writers and pay more money for them um, to get higher quality written output because we're leveraging AI tools to do the bulk of the labor and then using the humans to come in and, and humanize the uh, humanize the output. Um, so we get better output at a higher quality at, at a higher volume um, by leveraging AI tools. So we're, I guess we're, we're, we're breaking the rules a little bit because we're not, we're not using AI to replace humans. We're using AI to make humans superhuman. Sure. I mean, but that's the fear, right? When they hear about a tool like Descript, um, or, you know, or anything else that you're using where you're basically saying it's replacing certain functions that we previously had a human being do. We just think, okay, that person is now obsolete. But it sounds like you've now taken it and you're using it now to actually hire more higher quality people. Like, it's not that we're taking the higher quality out, right? Like, I mean, because I think that's what people are afraid of is that we're replacing everything with just robots. Yeah, But yeah. you sound and like you're making it more human. <laughs> you can. You can replace things. You you could go down that road, right? You could just replace people and let the, let the robots do it all. Um, the problem with that is that you're going to have robotic output. Um, and the reality is like, if you want to tell a good story, you need a human to tell a good story because robots can't tell stories. They don't understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a long time before they do. Um, and you know, if you, if you want to get deep into the weeds on that, there's some academic papers talking about the current state, like today, January, 2023 state of AI, that it's very impressive, but it's still, it's still, uh, very much lacks context. It lacks creativity. It lacks, um, it lacks the ability to tell and understand and synthesize knowledge. It doesn't know what it knows. Human beings know what they know. Right. And there's um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there, but what that what it boils down to is you can't replace human beings with AI, and you'll never be able to replace human beings with AI because we have, um, for lack of a better term, uh, we have a spark of divinity that robots don't have, and I love that. that it's vital to our ability to tell stories and have creative output. But what AI does have is it does have the ability to to do the bulk of the work for you, right? So to build the structure or the skeleton upon which you are putting the, uh, the, the you know, the final coat of paint, right? Um, it's like, I, I don't know if you've seen those, uh, those CNC built houses now where they have like the, the machine that can go in there with concrete and like build the whole house up. And then 
it's it's done you have a house but then you have to come in and you have to like if you want it to be a home you need to decorate it and build a family there mm -hmm. right and that's all i'm talking about is like if you want your output to be human you can still leverage ai and you can leverage robotics and leverage the stuff that we're building to create more human output at a higher volume um, at a better quality than you would be if you were doing it all you know by hand and that's why i love the metaphor of the uh, the farmer who's been given a tractor right as like you have freed up those 20 other people who were plowing the fields for the farmer to go off and do higher quality work to do i say higher quality it's more more valuable work and um like this this is this is probably deeper than you were intending to get but if you look at um society since we moved out of the agrarian age um if you go back to the agrarian agrarian stuff just a couple hundred years ago the average output for a human being was roughly the same as their input meaning that we cost society as much as we give it um and there was this um and and it was slipping where we were starting to as technology sort of started to pick up and um and the agrarian age wasn't quite transitioned yet we were starting to cost more we were consuming more than we were outputting and then technology sort of started taking off in the early 20th century and all the way up into today um as of the end of 2022 i was reading some stuff on this um the average adult today outputs seven times more than what they cost society mm. right seven times and they're saying if this continues our children so like you know my son and your son when they hit our age they're expecting that trajectory that they will output 25 times more than what they cost society wow. right and that's really what that's what's going to happen is we're we're creating more output than we're costing so we we can support more people we can do higher levels of work we can you know we can raise more people out of poverty we can uh, like it's literally it's changing the world um wow. and embracing some of these tools and using them in ways that that empower people to in our case we tell stories right and empowering people to tell their stories and show up consistently um we are using ai to improve humanity and to improve the human experience right. so it doesn't have to be negative <laughs> yeah. And well, talk about being a hero. You're sounds like you're using AI as one of your superpowers to be yeah. a hero, you know, and and uh, so if you were to I don't know if I want to say summarize, but just give advice to agency owners who are trying to AI proof their agency, because I know that you're using AI, but I also feel like you really AI proofed your agency in a way because it went from being very manual intensive and now you're using AI as your superpower. You know, what, what kind of advice or what approach would you give people who are just now starting to venture into that where it was all human labor pretty much and they, they want to AI proof their agency and improve their productivity? Yeah. So. The, uh, the fear I think a lot of people have is that AI is a tool we don't understand yet, right? And like any tool, a tool can be used for good or evil, right? You give someone a hammer, they can build a house where they can bash someone's head in, right? right? You give someone the tool of persuasion and they can be a leader and, and change the lives of people around them by, by helping them for their own benefit, or they can be in a manip manipulator and use persuasion for their own benefit and their own gain, right? It's tools are neutral. And AI is a neutral tool. You can use it to help or to hurt, right? Or you, it, it could hurt you if you're not paying attention to how to, how to use it. So I think um, my, my advice is to learn how to use the tool, right? If you learn how to use a hammer, you can learn how to build a house with it, right? Learn, learn what is there and what the capabilities are instead of being afraid of it and being like, oh, I've never seen a hammer before. I'm gonna continue bounding you know, nails in with rocks, right? <laughs> and it gives you a hammer for the first time and shows you how to use it. You're like, oh, that's actually significantly easier to put a nail in than sure. you know, bang. or using the wrong end or you're using the wrong side. Yeah. Right. Is learn how to leverage the tools that are coming out mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to fail with them. Right. Like to, to see like, you know, what, what kind of output do we get? Does it, you know, does it work well if we do this? What can we leverage with this? And that's where all we've been doing is just looking at the tools and being like, okay, how can we, um, how can we either, and again, this probably comes back to asking yourself good questions, right? How mm -hmm. can I increase the the volume of my output without decreasing the quality? How can I increase mm -hmm. the quality of my output without decreasing the volume, right? How can I um, how can I make my my staff's life better, right? How can I make it easier for them? And you know what's interesting is like my transcriptionist, 
is happier doing the fixing of AI transcriptions mm-hmm. at a much higher volume than she is doing word for word transcriptions on her own. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier labor. Um, so now we're putting out higher quality and she's happier and she's, you know, happier with her her family and her life and the things that she's doing because we're we're letting the tools make her life easier, right? Because we gave her a hammer. Right <laughs> now she right. just hammer nails in with a hammer instead of a rock. And she's like, oh, that's that's really cool. Now she can build more houses in less time. Right. And that's it, it's empowering your people. And it took us months of playing with it to see how can we make this efficient. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and realizing like, you know, sometimes you might have to continue the human labor alongside of learning how to do something else. It's like any other skill. You're going to suck at it at first. Um, and actually, I have vivid memories of my dad teaching me to use a hammer and smashing my thumb with it and being really upset. And I'm like, why the crap would I want to use a hammer? And he's like, I promise you want to learn to use a hammer. It's going to be any good at helping because we were building my bedroom when I was a teenager. And we actually, we built it from, from nothing. And I had to put all the nails in the boards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being upset that the hammer was a stupid tool and I didn't want to learn to use it. Right. But it's the same kind of thing. You have to go through, you have to go through the suck to get to the good. Um, and if you're willing to do that and play with the tools and see how you can leverage them, um, pay attention, like pay attention to the tools that are coming out. Cause if you, if you don't, the team who is using the hammers is going to beat the guy who's using the rocks, but that's true. <laughs> so, that is true. so that's my, that's my advice is, is wow. play with them and see what you can do with them. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for taking time out of your day-to-day to show us how you're breaking rules to thrive in this disruptive world. I do have one last question for you. So what do you think will be a breakthrough strategy uh, or a tactic in marketing this year? So that's a hard question. Um, I think it is going to be um, it's going to be the same thing that it's always been. Um, with a new flavor, right? And it is you have you have to have you have to have a message, right? And I meant I mentioned this when we started is you have to have a message. And with the preponderance of AI tools and everything else, there's going to be a I don't know what you want to call it a uh, there's going to be a surgence of people who are going to try and use AI to replace human. And what that's going to do is it's going to be a lot of content that has no message. Right. That has no it has none of the human creativity, that spark of divinity that we talked about. Um, and it, it's it's going to it's going to look good for a while. Right. Until it starts to become boring and uninspiring because it is boring and uninspiring. And so my my piece of advice, I guess, the thing that I think you should focus on is how can you build a message in a world where people are going to start trying to play with this these new tools, right? Like AI, um, you're going to stand out when you can put those two things together, right? When you can take the disruptive tools and put them together with what is classically human, which is having a message and having a story. And how do you use the new tools to, to supercharge your message? And so I think if you want to be disruptive today, it's not going to be, I use AI for the sake of using AI. It's going to be, I use AI to make my message more powerful, to make it more accessible to make it um to get it in front of more people and so i think foundationally it's it's you know it's get your foundation right for your business get your message right and then use these tools as a way to supercharge it well thanks again richard i'm leanna ling and i will see you all next time <laughs>